Listener Production. In this briefing, we explain what's happening with inflation and should you be worried about it? Consumer prices jumped 7.5%. A lot of what's going on is supply chain related. For an imminent interest rate rise. There is a whole generation of homeowners that have never experienced a rate rise. The Reserve Bank will need to raise interest rates probably by August. So as you can hear there, there's been a lot of headlines about rising inflation and the risk of interest rates going up and causing big financial stress for homeowners. So could rising inflation crash the housing market? I don't think the Reserve Bank is that stupid. They will only raise interest rates as far as necessary to control inflation. They know that Australian households have more debt than in the past, and that makes interest rate increases far more potent. We're going Economics 1001 with one of Australia's most respected economists. He'll be here to school us on inflation, interest rates and housing prices right after the headlines. It is Monday, the 21st of February. You're with Jan Fran and Tom Tilly. Let's see what's making news today. The Queen has COVID. Buckingham Palace has released a statement saying the 95-year-old monarch is displaying mild cold-like symptoms and will continue light duties and thankfully is triple dosed. Yeah, so we sort of had an indication that this might come um, because nine days ago, Prince Charles contracted COVID for the second time and he'd reportedly seen the Queen just days before he tested positive. Yeah, classic form from the Queen. She's going to continue light duties. She's not letting this slow her down. So hopefully that says she's doing well and we'll ride this out. And after two years... Guess what? Today, our international borders are finally fully open. My message to them is the tourists all around the world, pack your bags, come and have one of the greatest experiences you could ever imagine, and don't forget to bring your money with you. Scott Morrison there. Of course, they still can't go to WA, but we heard recently the new plan for WA is to open on March 3. So with this new reopening for the rest of the country, double vaccinated travellers from around the world, including tourists, as you heard from Scott Morrison, are now eligible to come here quarantine-free. There's 50 flights coming today from countries like Singapore, Japan and the US. It's all very good news, but the recovery for our tourism industry is expected, you know, to, to move slowly. So there are border restrictions still in place for China and New Zealand. The reason why that fact is important is because those countries make up a third of our visitors pre-pandemic. So a bit of a slow recovery. And I do wonder, Tom, like we have projected this image of a very rules-based, tough-on-COVID mm. country for two years. I wonder if people who have to make these long-haul flights from the Northern Hemisphere, whether they'll jump at the chance or whether they'll be mm. a little bit cautious in coming to Australia in the next few months. Yeah, I think that's right. I think it'll take a few months for them to sort of wait and see how it goes in case we sort of bring up the borders or reintroduce restrictions. But ultimately, I imagine the rest of the world are a bit like us. They're dying to travel again. And somewhere like Australia probably looks really exciting and exotic. It was funny to hear ScoMo back into um, sort of Tourism Australia mode. That was his, his former job, the boss of that body. He's out there again uh, selling the country. And I love the last line. And don't forget to bring your, bring your wallet full of money. <laughs> yeah, he's making no secret of the fact that we would like you to spend your money here in Australia. I mean, the tourism industry in Australia is huge. It's worth approximately $4 billion a month. So yeah, bring your money, spend it in Oz. And Australia's lodged formal complaints with Beijing after a laser was aimed at an RAAF aircraft. 
I can see it no other way uh, than a- an act of intimidation. So that was a PM, uh, Scott Morrison, there. Here's what happened. So last week, two warships from China's Navy were being tracked as they travelled north of Australia. Now, shortly after midnight on Thursday, one of the RAAF planes surveilling the ships had a laser aimed at it just northeast of Darwin. A military laser is sort of like, you know, quote unquote, painting a target. It's used before firing any kind of munitions a split second later. So the strength of the laser can also cause blindness and damage aircraft equipment. It's a pretty big deal that this has happened. Yeah, it would absolutely scare the hell out of you if you were on board that plane. It's the first time an incident like this has happened so close to Australia. It's more common in those contested South China Sea areas. And a bold bid to take over one of our biggest coal-fired power companies. Yeah, so the co-founder of Atlassian, Mike Cannon-Brooks, is part of an $8 billion bid to buy AGL with Canadian asset manager Brookfield. They made the offer over the weekend. Yeah, so their plan is to transition AGL out of coal by 2030, which is 15 years earlier than planned. That's a big deal because AGL's power stations make it Australia's biggest emitter. So they account for about 8% of Australia's national emissions. Yeah, so it's an interesting bid. We'll wait and see if the board of AGL accept it. Um, The bid wasn't that much higher than the current share price, but the The company involved, Brookfield, is this Canadian asset manager who have invested a lot in renewables. So they have a a big track record of making change in this space. And it's really corporate finance leading the energy transition, which is quite an interesting global phenomenon. And here in Australia, it comes after the big news last week that Origin, the other big power company here, is shutting down the biggest coal plant in Australia seven years earlier than scheduled. So it all points towards this transition happening faster than planned. Australia's most successful Winter Olympics ever, that's right, ever, has come to an end, with another dream being realised after Sammy Kennedy-Sim was named our flag bearer for the closing ceremony. It's such a great honour. It's something that I've actually dreamed about for a long time. That's Sammy on seven there. She's a parisher, local and a total legend. Um, She's done three Olympics, And that honour to um, carry the flag was massive and it recognises her decade-long contribution to skiing and she came eighth in the ski cross. Yeah, so in total we got four medals, uh, one gold thanks to Jakara Anthony in women's moguls, we got two silvers, one for Jocelyn Narakot in women's skeleton and one for Scotty James in the men's halfpipe and we got a bronze for Tess Cody in the women's slope style. Yeah, amazing. Norway um, topped the medal tally, so they're really kicking ass in this space. Um, they got 16, Germany got 12 in second, China in third with nine. So they'll be pretty happy with that, I imagine, China. And um, closer to home with the briefing team, uh, Eleanor, our producer, there's a medal in your family. There is indeed. My cousin, Justin Cripps, uh, he's a Canadian. He's been racing for Canada, although he does have Australian citizenship. But he uh, led a four-man bobsleigh team to bronze yesterday by six hundredths of a second. That was Whoa! Yeah, so it was nerve-wracking to yeah. watch. I don't know how it could have been for him uh, sliding down the track, but uh, yeah, so that's what he does with his life. <laughs> wow, well, congratulations to him. But I did 
you say that he has Australian citizenship as well. Yeah, and But US. he's racing for, he has for Canada, so three. that's a bit disappointing for us. <laughs> no, nah, I'm still claiming it. That's an Australian bronze. <laughs> I'm claiming it. That's a briefing bronze. All right, that's amazing. Coming up, will inflation crash the housing market? So if you've got a big mortgage, there's been a lot of scary headlines lately, you might agree, Jan. Lots of articles about inflation going up and the need for the Reserve Bank to jack up interest rates on everyone's mortgages. Yeah, I imagine there would be a lot of homeowners right around the country with some very clenched butt cheeks because of how stressful some of the reporting on this has been. A lot of speculation Not a lot of fact. One fact, though, that we do know for sure is that we're at record low interest rates, 0.1%. So really, the fact is the only way is up, right? So recently, inflation has been rising more so in the US than it has here. And there's been a lot of articles saying that they should be jacking up the rates much sooner than next year, which is when they said they were planning to do that and start pushing them back up to pre-pandemic levels. So, yeah, the stress is real. Yeah, so let's find out what is going on with inflation, how that relates to interest rates, and whether that could crash the Australian housing market, which a lot of young people would be very, very happy about. Shane Oliver is the Chief Economist at AMP. Shane, thanks so much for joining us on The Briefing. Before we really get stuck into it, let's just go back to basics for a bit. What is inflation? Basically, inflation is a generalised and persistent rise in the cost of living. Things you buy in the supermarket, hardware and elsewhere for services are generally rising through time. Now, obviously, a one-off spike in prices because of, say, a tax increase is not regarded as inflation. It really needs to be persistent through time. It's something we haven't had a lot of in recent times, but obviously we did if you go back several decades ago to the 1970s. Well, right now, there seems to be a fair bit of fear and panic about inflation, particularly in the US, where it's now over 7%, which is the highest level in 40 years. How concerning is that? It's certainly a concern. I guess many might think, well, is it really a problem? You know, only a few years ago, we were talking about inflation being too low. As long as wages go up, we'll be all right. But the experience of the 1970s showed that it can be very debilitating. It can lead to a lot of economic uncertainty. And of course, when inflation is high, then people devote a lot of activity to avoiding inflation, sort of results in uh, wasted time to protect yourself against that rise in inflation. And of course, it does result in much higher interest rates than the ones we've got at present if it persists. So that's why there's all this concern about it. It surged in the US to the highest level since 1982. Other countries like the UK, Canada, New Zealand, yeah, they're all seeing inflation around 5 or 6% and it's also picked up in Australia in recent times. Mind you, we're less than half the inflation rate that the US has. Our inflation rate on the latest numbers is 3.5%, but it's still a lot higher than it was. It looks like it will go a bit higher yet. So can you explain to us, like whenever inflation is mentioned, so are interest rates. Why is that? What is the link there between the two? Well, basically, interest rate is the return you get on an investment or a bank deposit, say. And if uh, people aren't getting compensation for the diminution of the purchasing power of their money in the bank, so you've got $100 in the bank, the inflation rate 7%, but then that $100 will only buy you, say, $93 worth of goods in real terms um, after adjusting for that pickup in inflation. So you really need compensation for that. So in theory, uh, interest rates should provide compensation 
for the level of inflation. And typically through history, when inflation has been high, we've had high interest rates. And when inflation has been low, we've had low interest rates, which makes sense on those grounds. The other factor, of course, is that central banks are charged with keeping inflation around 2% or 2 to 3% in Australia. And if inflation picks up, one of the only levers they have to slow it down is to raise interest rates. And they do that because by raising interest rates, it slows spending in the economy, which slows demand. And that has the effect of ultimately pulling down the inflation rate. And of course, the last major times we saw this in the US were in the 1980s, the early 80s, where the US central bank under a, um, a Fed governor at the time called Paul Volcker raised interest rates to dramatic levels, brought on a recession and then squeezed inflation out of the system. Similarly, in Australia in the late 1980s, interest rates went to exorbitant levels and that ultimately squeezed inflation out of the system. So that's one of the main reasons why we hear the two put together because the feeling is that if inflation's gone up, then interest rates must go up too. The connection between inflation and interest rates is there. There's also always a connection made between interest rates and house prices, which is one of our favourite Australian pastimes is basically speculating on the housing market. If inflation is rising and interest rates are very likely to rise, what does that actually mean for house prices? Does a big increase in risk mean that house prices will drop? It probably does. Uh, if you think about it, way back in 1989, mortgage rates in Australia peaked at 17%, and that's because the Reserve Bank had raised interest rates dramatically to help cut inflation at the time. Now, since that time, because we've moved into a world of much lower inflation, at least up until the pandemic, inflation went down. The numbers prior to the pandemic were around 1.5% or so, less than the 2% target. So, we'd seen interest rates come down. In fact, during the pandemic, typical mortgage rates fell to around 2 or 3% depending on whether you went fixed or variable with your uh, mortgage contract. And that decline in interest rates over that whole period enabled people to borrow more and more. And if you've got a lower interest rate, then obviously you can borrow more than if you've got a higher interest rate because it's easier to service that loan given your income. And so what's happening now, of course, is that with the interest rate cycle starting to turn back the other way, that's leading to concerns that people will be unable to borrow as much as they have been up until recently and consequently, that will mean less spending power on the part of new home buyers and therefore downwards pressure on house prices. And indeed, we expect that to start occurring later this year. And we've already seen the housing market start to slow down, partly due to poor affordability, but also because of increases in fixed mortgage rates that have already started to be passed through. So could this inflation that we're seeing at the moment crash the housing market in Australia? Well, to be honest with you, I don't think it's going to crash the housing market. I know a lot of people love the idea of a property crash and keep willing that story out every few years for one reason or another. Every few hours. Uh, yes. I've been hearing the crash story ever since uh, the mid-1990s, I think now. It's been a sort of a, a regular concern and it's partly because Australians are taking on more household debt and that means more risk around housing than there was, say, back in the, the 80s or even the 70s because we didn't have as much debt back then relative to our incomes. So it's certainly our risk. But I don't think the Reserve Bank is that stupid. They will only raise interest rates as far as necessary to control inflation. They know that Australian households have more debt than in the past, and that makes interest rate increases far more potent in terms of doing what they want them to do, i.e. slow down spending in the economy. You don't need to raise interest rates to 78% like we saw in 1989 because we've just got so much more debt than we had back then. And so the Reserve Bank, I think, will take things very gradually 
at least initially, you know, a few 0.25% increases. And yes, the mortgage rate or the cash rate might go to 2% and mortgage rates might go up to 4%. But that really just takes us back to where we were before the pandemic. It will slow the property market. Prices may come off maybe 10%, maybe 15% in some areas. That's not enough to crash the property market on average. That would really just take prices back to where they were six or nine months ago. May I, for one, hate the stories about crashes in the property market. And I suspect that there would be a lot of Australians who also hate those stories as well because they do have mortgages and those stories are terrifying. So just talk us through if interest rates were to rise, given the number of people we have in this country with mortgages, millions of people, um, how many homeowners would go into mortgage stress and, and what would that look like for the average Australian? Well, some would tell us that there's already lots of households already in mortgage stress, but I think the numbers are actually relatively low because we're not seeing a lot of defaults and most people are servicing their mortgages okay. Yes, there is an issue there. I mean, two-thirds of Australian households own their own home. About one-third or just over a third of those households generally have a mortgage. That group of households, two-thirds of households, particularly those with a mortgage, don't want to see property prices go down uh, or don't want to see them crash, although they wouldn't necessarily be that upset if they gave up six months worth of gains. To be honest with you, I reckon if interest rates went back to the level I was talking about, say interest rates rose to 2%, which seems like a significant increase, and I think that would probably be a worst case scenario. If they went back to 2%, the level of household income devoted to servicing the interest on a mortgage would rise back to levels we saw just prior to the pandemic. So yes, it would be a concern. Yes, it would cause stress. But I don't think it would be enough to cause a significant rise in the number of Australians suffering mortgage stress and actually defaulting on their loans. It will cause problems and people will have to cut back on their spending. But I don't think it would cause uh, a huge surge in people defaulting on their loans or not being able to service their loans. If that were to occur, then it would probably mean the Reserve Bank has gone too far in raising interest rates because they don't want to crash the property market. They don't want to see a massive defaults because that will crash the economy and take us from an inflation problem to a recession problem. So we go from one side to the other and that's not what they want to do. They'll just want to slow things down ultimately to keep inflation under control. Hey, Shane, let's talk about the politics of interest rates. Scott Morrison has already said that interest rates would be higher under a Labor government. I'm curious, how can he make that prediction when... It's the RBA who set interest rates, not the government. Well, that's precisely right. Coalition governments say that every time around coming into an election, that interest rates are going to be higher under Labor. Don't forget interest rates started falling under Labor more than 10 years ago. Maybe there was a feeling that back in the past, you know, we had higher interest rates under Labor. You know, we certainly had that 17% mortgage rate under a Labor government at the time, but we also had very high interest rates when John Howard was treasurer back in the early 80s. So, historically, it swings and roundabouts there, but I think that's just election talk, to be honest with you. I certainly think it will ramp up in the coming weeks and months, and particularly so if it looks like we are getting closer to an interest rate hike. If we saw more evidence that a rate hike is coming, yeah, that's quite possible because we're talking potentially here about a June rate hike and the election's in May, so we're going to see more talk on that front. So it was Santa reason the federal government would say, yeah, rates might go up or might not even say anything much about it, but they might say that, well, whatever you're worried about interest rates, they'll be higher under Labor to just, I guess, uh, support their own political end and hopefully get re-elected on their part. Hmm. Um, But you're right. At the end of the day, it's the Reserve Bank that sets interest rates, not the government. Yes, the government used to have a much bigger role in that 
30 or more years ago, but things have changed since then and it's really the Reserve Bank that ultimately determines things and therefore it, it would be very difficult to say that interest rates are going to be higher or lower under Labor. We just don't know. It really depends on what the Reserve Bank does. Shane Oliver there, the Chief Economist at AMP. Yeah, and I guess the conclusions he made there, Jan, that yes, rates will have to go up, but no, they probably won't go up by that much because of such high debt levels. The small rate rise will have a big impact on people spending and therefore the effect on the housing market won't be that huge. You know, potentially it'll wind back some of the gains of the last six to 12 months. So quite a calm, measured, no need to panic answer which is often what you get to at the bottom of those articles, but it's very different from those headlines that <laughs> scream doom and gloom. Are you saying the media likes to sensationalise things and potentially start conflict, Tom? Well, maybe just the sub-editors, the people that write the headlines, and then you get into the article and it's like, OK, yeah, right, OK, get it. Yeah, them. And not us, by the way. Although, hang on a minute, Jen, didn't we sort of ask at the start of this, could inflation crash the housing market? Are we falling into the same trap? You asked that question. I wrote that I want that noted for the record. <laughs> Tomorrow on The Briefing, there's been some big news in the last week about our coal-fired power plants shutting down sooner than planned. So we're going to go deep on Australia's energy transition. Listener.